father's wealth means having a huge house, this really cool car, but not necessarily worrying about the actual uh, assets behind that picture. Welcome to Pencil Leadership. My name is Chris Anderson, Success and Lifestyle Coach, and this show is to help you begin building a life of fulfillment and to leave a positive mark on the world. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Now take out your pencils and let's begin. Warren Buffett said, Beware the investment activity that produces applause. The great moves are usually greeted by yawns. We actually have the millennial money woman uh, on the show today. Fiona is coming in and, and she is basically here. She's been wanting to help professionals, young professionals, have what she didn't have growing up. So we're gonna be talking about building wealth with her three-step approach. So if you're just starting out trying to get a grasp on finances, how to build wealth, this episode is right up your alley. And don't forget to share this episode with someone else and subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. My journey actually starts way back when I was a yee kid, right? A small child. (laughs) Yeah. At, uh, I'd say probably eight to 10 years old. And it actually starts with my grandparents. So my grandparents were my absolute uh, idols. I mean, my grandfather and grandmother, they were the power couple back then. And they were actually in Germany and they built up this, uh, you know, small local business together. And they worked every single day for basically their entire lives. And at age 70, roughly, they unfortunately lost everything and more. Uh, due to some poor financial planning, they basically mortgaged their house, they got a second mortgage, you you know how it goes, and they essentially lost everything. And I saw with my own eyes how a their entire wealth was, you know, poof, gone into smoke. And B, I also saw how essentially, I mean, I also saw them pass away without a roof over their head, without enough money to pay for long-term care insurance, without enough money basically for them to cover their basic living needs. And that left a really, really large mark and deep mark on my memory. And I decided from that moment, I was only 10 at that time, but at that time, I decided to never, ever allow anyone in my family or anyone in my circle that I can influence to live like that and basically to go like that without enough sufficient financial planning. So that was really the genesis. And that kind of propelled me down my career path to where I am today. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunate that so many negative things have to happen to really shape kind of our our trajectory. Um, But being able to look at those those rough spots, those hardships and see kind of the silver lining, at least now you're able to take that and change people's futures by helping them with financial wealth building. um, Despite that, that hardship your grandparents had to go through. So it's really cool to, to be able to take those, those rough patches and and hopefully help others with them. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I I really hope that's, that's going to be the point and, and the case, right. That positive, um, reinforcement that anyone can really take their financial lives in their own hands and yep. you can become successful no matter where you are and no matter where you come from. Yeah. And I love that idea of it too. And it, it's really, if, if you have that dr- dream and vision and you're taking the right action, that's a, and having the consistent and persistent attitude towards it. Um, Cause it does take time, but you can get there. And so many people just stop short of that. I think. Totally. I a hundred percent agree with that, Chris. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I, so building wealth, and I know you have three steps. 
uh, main steps that we're going to go over today uh, with that. Um, and so I, I guess, yeah, the, the first step, um, live like an undercover millionaire. Is that right? <laughs> that is right. Yes. Okay. So living like an undercover millionaire, you know, I was thinking about how can I condense? I mean, obviously there's so many steps mm-hmm. out there. Uh, this is not the only step. However, I was thinking like, how can I condense these multiple steps into kind of like one overarching theme? Mm-hmm. And I think this title is really catchy because I've run this across my clients and mentees as well, like living like an undercover millionaire and it catches their attention, right? Like, whoa, what is an undercover millionaire? And to answer that question, essentially an undercover millionaire is someone who has the money, but doesn't necessarily need to show in material objects or material items that they have that money. In other words, they kind of live like under beneath their means so they don't Mm. have to show off right with that with the newest outfit with the newest hairdo with the the nicest car the nicest house because they know in their bank accounts they actually have the money to prove that they are millionaires but they don't need to physically prove that they are that millionaire got it so they they have it they just don't need to flaunt it exactly yeah that's right basically I think, especially in the millennial generation, at least the people that I've worked with, um, I was able to, you know, conjure up a lot of conversations with them and kind of get into their brain and ask them, what does wealth mean to you? Because, Hmm. you know, obviously wealth is very subjective to some people. Wealth means uh, freedom, right? So they don't need to work a job because they have money um, to supplement whatever they want to do. To others, wealth means having a huge house, this really cool car, but not necessarily worrying about the actual uh, assets behind that picture. And by assets, I mean investment accounts, savings accounts, stuff okay. like that. Yeah. So what I'm trying to debunk with this live like an undercover millionaire rule to building wealth is that stuff really mm-hmm. does not necessarily equal wealth although society wants you to think that (laughs) yeah i mean you see a lot of these like social media influencers and yeah and and people they're they're getting they're going in debt or they're spending money um just to get things to look good or to to make them seem a lot or elevated a lot higher than what they are like paying to to be on shows or to have book tours or have the Lamborghini in the pictures or, or, you know, all that. And it's like, what is that going to get you in the long run? That's so true. I mean, I'll give you a story. Actually, mm-hmm. I was talking to one of my, uh, my business colleagues and they have, um, they have a friend who rents out these super high luxury cars in Miami. So we're talking okay. Lamborghini, Ferraris, right? All the sort like that. And yeah. there are so many influence actually, influencers from social media, actually, that come to this friend, this business owner, um, that rent out these cars just to show off to like show their fans, right, they got the money. But in reality, it's, it's a lease, it's a rent, like, right, you know, a lot of people, they just don't look behind the scenes, because typically speaking, what you see up front, it's not always the way it it seems. Right. That's a huge lesson I learned, too. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen it. And and it's, it's hard because you, I mean, you do want to have that notoriety that, um, that you want people to see you and, and think of you in that level. But if we can take our ego and pride out of it and realize, Hey, it's not, that's not what it's about. Like we don't need to have that our, our worth and our, our 
purpose is so much more outside of the the physical material things. I think that in itself is such a big block that we remove that we open up doors that we didn't realize could be there. That's very true. And you know, what I noticed with undercover millionaires, um, Mm -hmm. specifically, like I'm talking about when I say undercover millionaire, I'm really thinking about one of my mentors, for example, he's Uh a serial entrepreneur, probably opened and started 30 different successful businesses, but he lives like an undercover millionaire and no one would know his net worth, which surely is in the hundred of millions of dollars. Um, and he, what he taught me, he ingrained this in me. He said that do not allow lifestyle creep to become a part of your life. And Mm. lifestyle creep, for those of you who don't know, is basically as you start progressing in your career and earn more income, you also purchase more things to kind of compensate for that larger income, right? So basically you go from 50,000 to 100,000. That means you buy a bigger car, you buy a bigger house, whatever. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. That's that's great information. No, that's a a solid thing to kind of listen to and live by for sure. Definitely. And that will, uh, down the road, I mean, the fact that you don't have to keep up with the Joneses per se, like right. it's going to help your budget so yep. much. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, if you think about it and I guess not a lot of people do, but if, if say your, in, your income doubles because your business takes off and you don't buy like a new bigger house or all these things, you're going to have so much more to invest back into the business up front where then it can grow even more. And then eventually um, and I forget who said it. I see a quote by it, but the, and I want to say Jay Z, but that could be wrong. He said, uh, "If you can't buy it straight up twice, then you don't need to buy it. Like if you don't have enough money to buy two of them up at once, then you're not at the point to buy it yet." That is excellent advice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So living like an undercover millionaire. So don't flaunt. You know, it's not about the material things. It's about kind of padding that foundation so you can expand, invest more so you can increase that level. And eventually, yes, you can have some nicer things, but down the road. Um, and so when does the pay yourself come in? Is that still when, when you're kind of building that foundation? Absolutely. So paying yourself first, it, it happens or it should happen at least as soon as you start working. And okay. the reason why paying yourself first is just it's so imperative, especially in our very consumer-driven society today, is because of this, for example, the statistic that I have for you, Chris, it's mm-hmm. you know, 78% of individuals, they live paycheck to paycheck, right? Yep. That means they're living from a month-to-month basis. And honestly, for me, that would be so stressful. I do not yep. want that. <laughs> right, yeah. And, you know, even further, 30% have absolutely $0 in their emergency savings fund. So if they had, you know, an emergency like a flat tire, which could cost a few hundred bucks, they would resort to their credit card. And that means high interest rates. So that's just not a way to live and really not a smart way to build your wealth. So paying yourself first, in essence, means when you receive that paycheck, right? So let's say you make, for for even numbers, $1,000 every week. Uh-huh. So from that $1,000 that gets deposited into your bank account, most people, those people who do not build wealth, they use that $1,000 first to pay for, let's say, you know, groceries, uh, whatever, car bills, uh, food, uh, going out to eat, movies, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. then whatever's left over after that, you know, it all first is taken care of, then they move that into retirement accounts 
401ks, et cetera. However, paying yourself first, which is what even great investors like Warren Buffett, for instance, suggest is uh-huh. you want to switch that thinking, flip it okay. over. So you start building wealth. In other words, when you get that thousand dollars into your bank account, the first thing you want to do is move a portion of that to your 401k, for example, or to your IRA. The second step you want to do is pay off any high interest debt, such as credit card debt. And then finally, the third step, anything that's left over that you can use to pay, you know, I don't know, going out expenses, food expenses, stuff like that. But you want to flip that thinking around and that will help you start building wealth. (laughs) Gotcha. And is there, so with that, putting, putting things away, investing, uh, is there a percentage you kind of are drawn to when you're telling people to do that, paying themselves first? Yes. So I am, so, all right. I guess I'll start with what the average rule of thumb is. The average rule of thumb for investing is, Mm -hmm. in theory, about 10 to 15% of your gross, which means your overall income. That's the average rule of thumb. However, my opinion is a little bit different because I think for us who want to be above average, right? So Mm -hmm. better than what the average person is who's currently living paycheck to paycheck, the majority is to save over 30% of your actual gross income. It's a large number. However, if we're talking a couple of decades from now, right, like two, three decades from now, your investment accounts will have grown so much more substantially than if you had just put in 10 or 15%. So you got to look in the long term, not in the short term. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a lot. I feel like a lot of people do. They they focus on the short game instead of the, the long game, which I think is more beneficial, obviously, because you're, you're building that momentum, you're compounding more uh, in the long game. So that's absolutely true. I mean, and that's actually a great point, Chris, because Mm -hmm. a lot of um, millionaires that I've had the opportunity to work with, their mindset is not really in the short term, they basically compound things in 10 to 20 year increments. So what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is, like, let's say we have a $2 a month subscription fee for some app that we barely use. It's not a lot of money in the short term, right? Two bucks. I mean, it's $2. It's not much, but they think about it. Okay. $2 times 12 months times 10 years or times 20 years. That's going to be a couple hundred bucks. If not, you know, 40 years from now, a couple thousand dollars, it compounds. Gotcha. No, that makes sense too. And it's, it's just like anything, even when like I talk to people starting businesses or starting podcasts, it's all like, well, I've done this six months, I've done this a year and I'm not at the results I want right now. And I'm like, yeah, but you got like, you're just getting started. Like the wheels are just getting started. Like you've got to keep going. Like it's a long game. Yeah. You're not gonna be making millions instantly. And so it's the same kind of mindset, I guess. Oh yeah. I I mean, I've been there too. I'll be very yeah. honest with oh, you. Yeah. Like, I was, when I started my blog, right. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's been already three whole months. I mean, they're <laughs> like, I got to give myself some time. I got to be more patient. Yeah. So I, yeah. I understand that. Yeah. yeah, I know. I, and I learned that too, starting out, uh, the same kind of thing. I'm like, well, I guess this is going to take longer than I thought. Yep. <laughs> so, which is okay. Yeah. We got, we've got to go through that. I think uh, and, and I think that's what we're so, I mean, especially millennials, unfortunately, we get a bad rap for uh, instant gratification, society and things like that, wanting everything oh, yeah. right now. Um, so we've got to teach teach our fellow millennials, like, got to have patience and, and persist and be consistent through our actions. So, 
That's absolutely true. And, and you're right. We unfortunately have that rap of instant mm-hmm. gratification. You want it now and you don't yeah. want to wait. But with money, unfortunately, if you know, if it's a legit way to earn money, let's put it that way. Yeah. Chances are it's gonna take a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Legit being the keyword for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so we got live like an undercover millionaire and then pay yourself first. So and, and with that, and my my mindset with that many years ago was like, oh, pay myself first. Okay, I'm gonna go take money and I'm gonna go buy this or buy that instead of paying yourself first as far as investing. So make sure you're paying yourself first and in the meaning of investing in your future, not just spending it on the latest gadgets. <laughs> That's a great distinction. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah, because many years ago I was like, oh pay myself first. Absolutely. Like I want to go do stuff and 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 buy things. But now it's like no, you're you're paying yourself first now for later. So that's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. And so that, that brings us to the third um, step of this building wealth uh, process that you have. And I believe it's um, slashing debt. Is that right? That's exactly okay. right. Yes. So slashing debt. I mean, debt is such a large topic in yeah. especially our current society, right? With student loans. I mean, you know, the average student debt in America, at least right now, is about $30,000. And there's uh-huh. over $1.5 trillion of student debt out there. So, yep. you know, that has surpassed credit card debt, which is still quite a chunk of money, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously debt, it just, A, I think it's... uh mentally it drains us because we're stressed depending on the amount of debt you have and b it really just doesn't help you build wealth because whenever there's an interest rate attached to a debt so you know look at your credit cards right if you have a current balance on your credit card chances are there's an interest rate attached to that balance which yeah. means there's more money coming out of your own pocket right. and um you know that it's just such a wealth deterrent so honestly if you have debt I think the first step here is to analyze the type of debt, the actual balance with that debt, and Mm -hmm. the interest rate that is corresponding to that balance. So that's the first step. Actually, just analyze. Sit down and analyze it. it. Yeah. The second step is basically looking and uh, I guess I would say sorting the highest interest rate to the lowest interest rate. So the higher the interest rate, we're talking like credit card debt, for instance, we're talking probably 20, 24%. That's the average credit card debt or rate. I'm sorry. Right. You want to, you want to pay off whatever is the highest interest rate first. And the reason why is just because it is literally nibbling at your cash flow, meaning yeah. it's, it's taking away from your investing right. power, from your wealth building power. You want to cut that off as fast as you can. So basically pay as much as you can and please pay more than the minimum required credit card right. payment yep. um, and just get that down to zero, right? So absolutely focus all of your efforts toward paying off that high interest credit card debt. Then the second step, is move those payments that were originally spent toward your credit cards, assuming that balance is paid off, and move that to the next highest interest rate. So it's basically the snowball method, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. When you pay off that first high interest rate, you go to the second highest, and so on and so forth, until your debt is just completely paid off, minus maybe your mortgage. Okay. And, and with that, I, I'm curious for your position. I know some people, and obviously the, these people are making lots of money, uh, talking about good debt, 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there is a good tip when you get to a certain level as far as like maybe investments, like um, condominiums, homes, things like that? Or, or do you think all debt is, is not good for people? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Chris, to, to be very honest, I mean, I personally believe, yes, there is good debt. Okay. There are other advisors that I've spoken to, for example, and they believe every type of debt is just absolutely evil and you got to stay away from it. Right. I think that there's, I mean, just coming from a millennial perspective, for example, if I would have thought my mortgage, for example, is bad debt, I probably wouldn't be able to sleep at night. So <laughs> right. um, I am not paying off, you know, whatever it is, $180,000 right. as fast as I can. I'm just not going to do it because I'm trying to think about it, at least mathematically. Mm. So my mortgage rate is 3%. And what I can earn in the markets is mm-hmm. about, let's say, 7 to 8% in the long term. So okay. obviously, my return is greater in the markets if I invest my money in the markets versus the quote unquote return I would be getting that 3% if I were to pay off my mortgage. So where is my money better? uh, If or where is it more efficient? Mm. The answer is it's in the market. So for me personally, I feel much better investing it and just paying the minimum on my mortgage because the interest rate is so low versus moving it all to my mortgage and trying to pay that off. Gotcha. Now with that, do you think uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, a house is truly an asset, or do you think it's more of a liability? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, for me, for my personal situation, it is an uh-huh. asset. However, okay. I think the answer really does depend on your personal situation. So, for mm-hmm. example, a house can be a liability. Absolutely, if you, you know, for example, you buy it. And after two years, you move. That's mm. a liability because chances are you didn't really make a profit off of a house after closing costs, after realtor fees and any other reparations that you have to do with a house. Um, typically speaking, the break-even period for a house to actually make you a profit, assuming it you know continues to grow the value of the house, is about mm-hmm. four years, four to okay. five years. Um, so yeah, you know, for millennials, I think that's, that's a pretty common myth. And I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, yeah. because a lot of millennials, I think they think you got to be a homeowner in order to right. be wealthy. And, and that's not the case. I know plenty of millionaires that do not buy a house. They actually refuse to own a home. They right. are totally set on renting and they yeah. do fine. <laughs> yeah. And because just my thought on it, and, and we're paying a mortgage right now, it's just where we're, where we're at in life. But my thought is like, if you're renting one, you don't have to worry about the maintenance, the upkeep things like that. And if you're paying a monthly or a month to month lease and something happens and you have to get out of there or you need to move, like you just are done and you move. Whereas your house, you have to hope you can sell it, hope the market's good for, for selling so you can actually get something from it. And I don't know. It just, yeah, it's always, I know there's two sides and depends on the situation, but just looking at it that way, sometimes I think like, a house at least a single home dwelling is more of a liability sometimes absolutely i mean you know i a lot of it also depends on the neighborhood so for example mm-hmm. um i had i i think i read in the news some at some point someone bought this really expensive house like i don't know $800,000 house in a neighborhood wow. that was up and coming however something happened in this neighborhood i i don't know it would maybe it was a murder or something like that, right? Uh-huh. Something bad happened in the neighborhood. It automatically tainted all the houses in this neighborhood. And no matter yep. what they did, although their house was beautiful, it was well kept up, 
because of what happened in that neighborhood, their home price sank easily by a hundred thousand dollars. So yeah. and that's totally out of your control. Right. And that's right. the thing that's unfortunate too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I guess it's, it's just like uh, investing in like the stock market. It goes up, fluctuates up and down. Yes. And, um, the only thing is, yeah, with the house, you, it's harder sometimes to get out of it depending on the times and stuff. And so, yeah, I think it teach their own and I don't think there's one wrong or right way with it. So that's right. It's, it really depends on the personal situation. You know, if, if you found your job, your dream job, and you absolutely love the area and you know you're never going to move, then right. a house, financially speaking at least, does make more sense because, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be able to pay off the uh, mortgage itself in whatever it is, 15 years, 20, 30 years, depending on your mortgage term, and you'll actually have that as an asset. And right. worst case, you know, down the road, you can actually open up a home equity line of credit, which taps into the equity that you built, basically the value of your home. And you can start drawing from the value of your home as kind of like an extra income source. So there are, there are definitely some pros to owning a house, but again, it depends on your, your own personality. (laughs) For sure. No. Yeah. No, I just, it's always interesting because there's so many different things you can do routes to take with everything. Um, And so no, these these three have been really good. Um, Live like an undercover millionaire, I think, is so huge because it takes just our, our view of things. Like, it's not about us. It's not about showing off. It's not about that. It's about just having that and then just living life without having to have all the attention kind of thing. Um, then pay yourself first. So into an investment, some sort of 401k, Roth IRA, things like that. And then slash the debt. So get out of debt the bad debt as fast as you can. Um, so then you can invest more into the future. Did I kind of hit those correctly? Absolutely. You okay. hit it. Yep. Awesome. And, and I think it, this is, I wish things like this were taught more in schools um, because it's, it's, it's a lot of knowledge. No one really knows. Like, and I took economics and I, I took all that, but it just wasn't, I don't think taught in this way, like showing like, if I would have learned in high school what schools cost and the debt and what that means coming out into a career that didn't pay much, like when I started, I would have been like, yeah, no, that's not, why would I do that? <laughs> so, yeah, there just needs to be a lot more education, a lot more talk about finances and, and building wealth in schools. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think right now there are only 21 states that make it mandatory to take a class in personal finance in order to graduate. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and I mean, and it kind of shows, I mean, with, with how things, uh, so many people and so many different issues financially, like for the most part, uh, obviously can't, we, we can't tie everyone into the group, but like it's because you're just we're just uneducated, and that's why there's so many problems with that. Just like a lot of other things, the education yeah, part. Absolutely. I mean, I think I, I read this really extensive study uh, a while back, and it basically said that America, which you know GDP-wise is mm-hmm. number one in the world, is as financially literate as Botswana, which GDP-wise is number one hundred fourteenth in the world. Jeez. So there, there's yeah. an issue right there. <laughs> Yeah. And so many people are just, just following the process, following what everyone else is doing, what everyone's been told to do. And it's like somewhere along the way, all that, what was being told got skewed and is wrong. Because, uh, I mean, being in America, we shouldn't be in this issue financially. So, so many, so, and such a big number. Like, 
That's absolutely right. Yeah, it is. a. It's, it's, you know, I just wish that more people would take it seriously. But then again, you know, if you're not taught personal finance concepts in, in high school or right. even in college, sometimes you don't, you just don't know which questions to ask. Right. So, you know, like subsidized versus unsubsidized student loans, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. when I went to college, I had no idea the difference. Yeah. I, yeah. So many people, they just like, I had one friend, he, she took a $30,000 student loan and thought, you know, great, I have $30,000, let's go and spend it. And so she decorated her dorm with $30,000. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not what this money is intended for. Oh my goodness, <laughs> golly. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it, it, I mean, it definitely bit me because I didn't know. And so, um, coming out of college, I went to a private Christian school. So you can imagine <laughs> coming out of that four Absolutely. years uh, <laughs> and, and then my master's as well. Thankfully I pinned my master's off already, but yeah, it's just, it's just part of the not knowing. And I didn't know then. And a lot of people are in the same, same situation. So like for what you're doing, this is, it's, it's awesome to see just you educating uh, millennials, especially on finances. And so, um, which kind of draws me into the, the question I asked all my guests, is the fifth trade of principle leadership is that we're all uniquely created with a purpose and potential uh, to leave a positive mark on the world. And so when everything is said and done on earth for you, what do you hope uh, your mark is? That's a really good question, Chris. Um, I think my hope in the end is just making a positive mark on anyone that I can uh really touched through my through my website and letting know that anyone anywhere can become a millionaire and I'll give you an example I was teaching a for a nonprofit um for a nonprofit organization I was teaching a class in Miami and it was a class of I want to say 14 year olds uh, underprivileged students essentially and at the start of this one hour class, I asked them who here believes they can become a millionaire and not one single hand went up. Mm. And after the class ended, I was talking to them about investing, compounding, et cetera, and investing at an early age, especially. So at the end of this class, I asked the same question again, who here believes that they can become a millionaire at like age 65? Every single hand went up every yeah. single one. And that was just, that was so incredible to see that you know, it's, it's just that education, it's lack of knowledge that really, it takes like, you know, $10 a day, if you're 20 years old, to invest in a regular hands off, you know, in de- index account, and yeah. you can be a millionaire in 45 years or so. And yeah. it, that was incredible. And I hope I can do that for many more people. That's awesome. And, I, and you're definitely making an impact doing what you're doing. And so um, keep it up. It's awesome that you're you're providing this service for people. Um so where can people connect with you at reach out um, and see what you're doing? Yeah, definitely. So the first place I would recommend is go to my website, themillennialmoneywoman.com. And you can always connect with me via email there, uh, themillennialmoneywoman at gmail.com. I'm always happy to interact and engage with my audience. And if you're a Twitter user, definitely feel free to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter information is at the underscore MMW. And if you prefer Pinterest, I'm also there, just the millennial money woman. And I'm happy to engage and connect. Uh, Fiona, thank you so much for being on Pencil Leadership today. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It was a true pleasure.
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope it brought you value. If it did, leave a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. This actually helps us get this in front of more people so we can leave a bigger mark. And then share this with someone, someone that it could bring value to so you can make a difference in their life as well. Now let's go out and be pencil leaders.